Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And on this episode of the Silver Screen Podcast, episode number 39, it's a special double episode with two movies, The Lighthouse and also The Farewell. Both of these were in theaters earlier this year, and we just didn't get to see them, unfortunately. But now they have hit streaming platforms and Redbox and all that and getting a lot of not so much Oscar buzz, but just really good movies in general. So we're going to be reviewing both of these today. And they were both uh, distributed by A24. So this is basically an A24 podcast today. So if you like them, they put out good stuff. The Lighthouse and The Farewell are both A24 movies. They are both very different movies, though, which we will talk about today here on the Silver Screen Podcast. Katie, how are you today? (laughs) I'm great. Thank you. It was such a long week, but I actually was looking forward to this. I know we've been recording on different nights, but I was kind of looking forward to this evening because this is is definitely the best part of my day. Just a little uh, behind the scenes. We're recording this on a Friday night at 7 p.m. So we are we live thrilling lives because that doesn't mean we're losers. (laughs) It just means we set time out for this. This this is when this worked. So um, I do have one funny thing for you, Katie, before we get started. So I can't wait. Please on Twitter. Ryan Johnson, the director of Knives Out, tweeted this yes. uh, last week, yes. and I thought it was very funny. It's, it involves our last episode on 1917, so I wanted to share with you the tweet. Okay, here it is. Last night at the Producers Guild Awards, Sam Mendez told me 1917 was actually shot in one continuous take. If an actor flubbed a line, they'd go all the way back and start again from the beginning. They paid Cumberbatch to show up every day and wait in that room at the end. He was there six months. They paid him $23 million. They had a production walkie stashed in the bunker. He'd wait in character. A few times a day, the walkie would squawk, going again. (laughs) I thought it's, it was just very fun. It's not wait, true. It's a total joke, oh, which is the funny part. I was like, wait a second. Is that even possible? <laughs> no, that was Man, not now real. I feel so dumb that I I partially 2% fell for that. But you oh bought well, into that. Life. But that, I just thought that was very funny. <laughs> a funny tweet from Ryan Johnson that uh, basically. You know what? <laughs> well, that, that continuous shot thing keeps coming up, but isn't that exactly what Birdman and all that stuff was? Yeah, I mean, they edit it together to make it look like it's one shot, but it's clearly like different scenes, probably longer right. scenes than maybe a normal movie would have, but there's right. still scenes. It's not like they just start at the beginning every day, and then if somebody messed up, they'd just start back over again that day. I mean, that would right. be a, a super dumb way to film a movie, because you'd never know if you'd get it done or not. So If it does ev- help, I, I wasn't fully following for it because I was thinking of the budget because we looked up the budget and I was yeah. like there's no way that would have been that nobody would have okayed that yeah anyway. that would have been a super insanely pricey movie but I thought that was just funny he just tweeted that it's very sarcastic <laughs> on Twitter so uh, that was just a funny tweet I thought from from Ryan Johnson the director of Knives Out he seems really likable he does he seems pretty chill I haven't heard him on many interviews and stuff but he seems like he's just kind of a a chill dude so yeah and the only other news item we have is that the SAG Awards happened and we had some winners Jen Aniston won for the morning show so congratulations to Miss Jen Aniston they uh, I've been watching a little bit of that on Apple TV plus because I have I got a new iPhone so I have a free subscription for a year I think I've watched four or five episodes of that so far it's pretty good her and uh, Reese Witherspoon are definitely the main characters on that show Steve Carell is not in it that much at all oh I think I've said that before so if you're watching it for Steve Carell don't because he's only in it like a scene or two an episode but that's good that she won Uh, Peter Dinklage won for Game of Thrones which is awesome the final season good to see that get some love and then Brad Pitt Joaquin Renee Zellweger 
Gallagher and Laura Dern all continued their winning streaks in their categories. I feel like those are probably the four locks for the Oscars in the acting categories, don't you think? Normally the acting categories are difficult, but I think this year it's kind of it's kind of locked in. Yeah, I I mean this seemed pretty consistent with the other things. It was cool to see some of the TV shows and stuff. Like I actually forgot Game of Thrones was able to be nominated, nominated. only because it felt like it was last year. So yeah, I don't know, but I was really excited that Peter Dinklage won again. Uh, and then I, <laughs> in our notes today for you, I know I put, don't even get me started with that Brad and Jen hug, hashtag dead. Um, yesterday, I was looking, a friend of mine, Kat, she's wonderful and listens to the podcast. She sent me um, all these Twitter memes and things that people had put. Someone screenshotted a picture <laughs> of Brad and Jen, that hand moment where he's yeah. holding her hand, and a person just put, hang this in the Louvre. <laughs> <laughs> And I laughed so hard forever, and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually would pay to go see this. Put that right next anyway, to the Mona Lisa. I'm crazy. Just <laughs> throw that yeah. in there. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, and then the whole Brad Pitt uh, joking that he had a tender or whatever, and then saying, yeah, I don't have that. That was obviously just a joke, guys, in my speech. Like, yes. Don't take it too seriously. So I thought that was fun. The SAG Awards, definitely, they had some fun at the SAG Awards, which is good. That's the Screen Actors Guild Awards, too. So I think, at least how that awards show works, is the actors vote on the other actors, basically. So it's it's more even of your peers than the Oscars because those categories are open to like more members. So the SAG Awards are really just, you know, members of SAG that vote on that. So it's kind of more, I don't know, it may feel a little more special or just like you get to have more fun at it because you're like, oh, my, the people that I also work with, you know, voted me for this award, which is kind of cool. Yes. Absolutely. So with that, we'll now get into our review of The Lighthouse, which was released on October 18th. The limited release went wide November 1st of 2019. Uh, it hit streaming in Redbox probably a week or two ago at this point. It's rated R for sexual content, nudity, violence, disturbing images, and some language. A runtime of an hour and 50 minutes. On IMDb, it's a 7.8 out of 10. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 91% critic score, 72% audience score. I will tell you, I'm probably going to side with the audience score more on this movie than the critic score, just as a heads up. So, <laughs> Spoiler alert. I might Spoiler as well. alert for the review. Box office, $10 million domestically, $13 million worldwide. Honestly... Not that bad of a box office for this movie. It was de- you can definitely tell but from watching it that it's a smaller budget movie. It its budget was 4 million dollars. So, it definitely made its budget back and actually a decent amount more than its budget. And obviously Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson did this more for the acting and the story aspect of it than like a paycheck. Oh yes, I would agree with you cuz Rob Pattinson, I do feel like he he does not just get movies handed to him, but at the same time, I do think he's garnering more respect these days. Um, but yeah, Willem Dafoe doesn't have to ask for roles or anything, and I feel like they knew he could carry this film. And from what I read, actually, he sought out the director because he loved okay. the movie The Witch. Um, and he had emailed him or something and had said, hey, if you ever do another project, a future project, I'd love to work with you. Very cool. Yeah, because um, and Robert Pattinson, especially, he's going to have a a big couple of years because this summer he's in the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. 
So yes. he'll be he'll, that'll be a huge hit. And then he's also in the new Batman too. So both of those things are going to be happening here pretty soon. So he's definitely he had obviously a big coming of age with the Twilight movies, but and then he kind of did some smaller indie stuff, kind of like this. And now he's going back into more of the mainstream type movies. And I think he's a decent actor. I just think the Twilight movies are not good for anybody to really act in at all. So because they're just not oh, good yes. movies. That might be they a hot take, my but either. I didn't. I've only seen like ten minutes of a couple of them. Didn't love them. So the synopsis for this movie, as you could probably guess, is two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1980s, and that's literally where this whole movie takes place. Is on this island with the lighthouse, and these two guys are basically the only two guys in the movie too. So pretty small cast. Some critics' reviews for this movie, we have Owen Gleiberman of Variety, who says, The Lighthouse, made with extraordinary skill, is a movie you can't pigeonhole, and that's part of its appeal. Yes, I do agree with that, because this this director seriously has a... <laughs> seriously, I don't know why that word. Um, he definitely has a style about him, and I do know there are people that are very attracted to it. It's, again, not my type of thing. I don't know how many times I'll say that in this episode, but it's not my <laughs> type, of, type of film. But I definitely do agree that this appeals to people, and I do appreciate the like artsy style of the film. Yes. Next up, we have Dana Stevens of Slate. This is probably the one that I most agree with. This at first fascinating and never less than bonkers movie is eventually sunk by its own theological overreach. I I do agree with this one, too, because it it felt like people knew that they were good at things like it it was very artsy looking and there's good acting and stuff. And so they were like, we're doing such a cool thing here. And it was a little much like it came across as if. We know how good we are. Yeah, it's shot in black and white. It's in a four by three aspect ratio. So it looks like an old timey TV show that you're watching instead of like a 2019 movie. So, yes, I think the people involved with it, some of them thought a little highly of themselves. Next up, you have Lindsay Barr of the Associated Press, who says the lighthouse is a triumph of mood and vision, like the love trial of Andre Travosky and David Lynch that knows that its actors are just a small piece of the overall composition. Oh, I actually know that. That name is Andre Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky. Good to know. Yes. Yeah, this one I kind of agree with too, although I would, I don't know. The fact that she's saying the actors are just a small piece of the overall composition, I would probably disagree with that because they're really the only two people in the movie. Like, it's not like this has a big cast or we go a lot of different places. Like, it's just them on the island with the lighthouse. Yeah, I so I actually I should have looked up. I've heard of Tarkovsky, but okay. I didn't I didn't look up to do any serious history, like, you know, look up their historical uh, stuff and what that means. But I I can tell that what they're saying is these people specialize in a certain uh, oeuvre, if you will. And so this is like this is what this guy does as well. Yep. And then finally, we have Justin Chang of the Los Angeles Times. He says, The White House may be a little too in love with its own virtuosity, but who can blame it? At a time when American movies are overrun with shopworm visions, its madness is a balm and a beacon. Yeah, so this one, actually, I do agree with this one because when they talk about how in love with themselves they are, I, I don't disagree, though, that there's really cool stuff about the film. And we do need people, I I would argue, you do need filmmakers who will make films like this. I do love black and white films. Um, and I do think it's cool how he shot it on the 35 millimeter film and all that stuff. That's really cool. But yeah, it's just, it's, um, I, I actually love too that he even mentioned 
that Justin Chang mentioned how we have all of these films like Marvel and stuff like that. I think this is very in line with what Scorsese said in that New York Times piece, Mm -hmm. just saying like we have a lot of films that are like easy, easy grabs for audiences and we know it'll make a bunch of money, but it's not necessarily original. Whereas a story like this is or is like a more original idea. This uh, just so you know, I read about it today. It was not an original idea. Exactly. Um, It was kind of based. So Edgar Allan Poe wrote something about this. And then also there was a. I believe they said it was a poem or a play by another woman, but they they just took elements of that and then made the story. Okay. So it's not like it's not original, but it definitely was inspired by something very similar. Gotcha. And this is directed by Robert Eggers, who we said also directed The Witch. He's a fairly new director. He hasn't been around super long time. So uh, he does have some more smaller kind of like independent movies. The Witch, I have not seen. I did hear that when that came out, that's like a horror movie. And this you could also kind of say is a horror movie, like psychological horror kind of for The Lighthouse. But The Witch I heard was very good. I haven't seen it, but I heard it was like pretty creepy. So I think he got a lot of buzz for that. It also did very well at the box office for its budget. It made $40 million on a budget of $4 million. So it did. I think that also gave him a little bit of, you know, gravitas in the industry of saying, wow, this guy made a, a fairly low budget movie that did really well at the box office. So The Lighthouse, he he got another movie and then his next movie is going to be the North man, which he is directing and also writing and no word yet on when that's going to come out. Ah, that is good to know. And I remember too, when the rich, the witch, the rich, (laughs) when the witch came out, I had a ton of friends tell me I should see it. And to this day, people still tell me I should see it. Not because I don't think they necessarily think it's something I would be dying to see, but they, I think because of the artistic elements, they're like, no, it's really good. And it's Mm -hmm. worth watching. So maybe sometime I actually will do that. So we've got two people in the cast in this movie, a very small cast, obviously, and we'll start with Robert Pattinson. Yes. So you kind of summed it up actually pretty well, uh, but I would did want to mention what he's <laughs> been in before. Robert Pattinson plays Thomas Howard. They're actually both named Thomas in this film. He is best known for the Twilight Saga, unfortunately, but eventually people will forget that. Um, Remember Me, which the movie was not, that movie isn't mm-hmm. terrible, but I, I used to have it. I sold it. I was like, ugh. <laughs> But it was fine. And then also Water for Elephants. I actually really did enjoy that, and I loved the book. So I did want to mention that. Next, just as you said, he is going to star in Christopher Nolan's film Tenet that we are both very highly anticipating. And then he is going to star as Bruce Wayne and Batman in The Batman, which is slated to come out in 2020. And looking that up, I actually didn't know it was going to be called The Batman. So I think that's interesting, but we'll definitely see him again. Then next up, we have Willem Dafoe. He plays Thomas Wake, the other Thomas. He is best known for Platoon, The Florida Project, Spider-Man, and The Grand Budapest Hotel, which Jared and I both love. He has been nominated for four acting Oscars for Platoon, Shadow of the Vampire, The Florida Project, and At Eternity's Gate, but unfortunately, he hasn't won yet. He has seven upcoming projects listed on IMDb. But we are going to see him in Wes Anderson's next film, which we've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. That film is going to be called The French Dispatch, and Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet are going to be in that as well. Nice. Yeah, these two are in two of my more anticipated movies for this year. The French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie, like you said, and then obviously Tenet, because I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. So I will be seeing both of those, but 
they were in this obviously, and then they've got some some big projects coming up. And also wanted to mention the Florida Project is a really good Willem Dafoe movie. If you haven't seen that, it kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Did get some love during awards season, but that one's that one's really good. I know that's one of my favorites from the last couple of years that he's been in. So now we'll get into the likes and dislikes for this movie. So the likes for this movie, obviously this movie shines in its cinematography and its like style, its production design. It is nominated for an Oscar for cinematography and the black and white feel of things is cool. I thought it was kind of weird that they did it in black and white, but set it during the eighties, you know, like I feel like if they would have done it in black and white and set it during the forties or fifties, it could have been a little bit more believable created some more realism but overall i still liked that it was kind of shot that way and then also they actually built a real working lighthouse for this movie just for this movie which is you know whenever you do that you got to give some props because that's pretty cool that's true i yeah i wanted to mention my brother was uh he he liked this film. He did say it was weird, but he enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> but he told me just how much effort went into making this film and that it was really fascinating and worth reading about, like the artifacts and different uh, lighthouse um, workers, their journals and stuff that he that Eggers read to create the film. So I definitely appreciate the effort that went into making this look like a period film. I actually didn't mind the time period at all because to me it just made me feel like how gross they must have felt, the lack of supplies and things they would have had, and just how helpless you would be. So it makes sense to me how quickly you could fall into despair and go mad. So I actually totally supported the choice of the time period of the film. And again, I mentioned earlier, but I loved that the movie was in black and white. I thought that made it way creepier. And also, I thought it made it look like an older film. Mm -hmm. I would I would agree with you there. So I do appreciate that it's different and it's not like your, you know, cookie cutter film, which is what some of the reviews were saying as well, especially the one from Justin Chang of the Los Angeles Times. Like it's doing something original, which you have to appreciate a little bit. But I just it just wasn't totally my type of movie for whatever reason. I just couldn't get into it. I just wasn't like super interested in it, which I'll talk about more in the dislikes. But I, I appreciate that it did try to do something different though as do i i completely feel that way and um i also thought the set design was spectacular Mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite things to point out um i all of the different artifacts and things they had even the i think it's called a sister and i don't want to embarrass myself but when he's trying to pump the water yeah yep um like the the little things like different pencils and notebooks and stuff he would write things down and tools he would use to check things they would both use to check the lighthouse that was just fascinating to me and i thought that whoever was the set designer did a spectacular job on this film how'd you feel about the uh the old bird (laughs) oh my gosh yeah you know what honestly trigger warning (laughs) if anybody is a serious pet activist and listen to this listens to this podcast there is a extremely violently graphic uh, murder of a bird. There so is. I, I did not love that part. I, that actually bothered me. I don't know that I ever would have said, take this out of the film, but it was a, it was a bit insane to me where I was like, yeah, if that scene wasn't in there, I still would have understood that these guys were crazy. Yes, I, I, I think so too. I feel like I get why they put that in to show that he kind of went insane but like you said, we we might have been able to do it with something else, honestly, instead of that. So, so are you ready to move on to the dislikes now? I sure am. I think I've mentioned a few, but 
My main thing is just that this isn't my typical brand of Mm -hmm. film. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. There's elements I appreciated about it. I definitely would not watch this movie again. And it's not one that I would say, oh my gosh, from the 2019 movies, this is definitely one you should see. I just, I don't foresee myself saying that to anyone. Yeah, yep. So I, uh... I didn't really love this movie either. It's just really not my type of movie as we move into the dislikes. And I think uh, just I wasn't super interested in it from the beginning. Like I was interested in it when I heard about that it was going to be made and who was in it. I was like, that should be decent. And I put it on and I really sat there intently and watched it for like the first 20 or 30 minutes. And then I got up and started doing other things and I, you know, would pause it and then I'd come back and watch 20 minutes of it. And then I'd do, you know, fold more laundry or make dinner or whatever and continue it. So I feel like it never totally got my full investment just of the type of movie it was I just and then when it was you know the last like 30 or 40 minutes I just had it on in the background while I was doing other stuff just kind of glancing over at it so I I never really fully captured my attention I didn't love it um, I think that it is definitely more of like a Robert Pattinson led movie than a Willem Dafoe movie, which is one of your thoughts too. And if you're going to watch mm-hmm. this, like just go ahead and turn the subtitles on because Willem Dafoe is like, oh yeah, you got to the lighthouse. Yeah. Although I, so most of the comments I read though, people were talking about Willem Dafoe and how brilliant he was and how he was leading the film. I don't disagree that he did a great job and he's a fantastic actor, but I did feel like this revolved more around Robert Pattinson's mm-hmm. character. Um, and yeah, that was an extreme criticism of mine. I could not understand Willem Dafoe and I get that they're trying to do like that New England accent, but it was so thick that I, I thought I need subtitles for what he's saying. So I felt like I lost half the film and I did. I sat and watched it, but I agree with your comment. There was nothing engaging enough where I felt either invested in the characters and also the story. Like I, I, I felt like I understood right away they were going crazy. And by the end I was like, Oh, so they went crazy. Like it felt to me like nothing happened. Nothing developed very much. And I certainly didn't feel like I cared about who these two men were. That was kind of my thing too. Like I didn't care about either of them at all. Like spoiler alert here for the lighthouse. If you haven't seen it and want to watch it, just come back. But they both die. In, in the movie, they both they both die. Yeah. First, Pattinson kills Defoe's character, and then Pattinson goes up to the top of the lighthouse and screams for like five minutes, and then he falls down the stairs, and he also dies. So that's kind of how the end of this movie plays out. So yeah, uh, and I the ending. Let's talk about that real quick. Like him screaming at the top of the lighthouse was uh, very offsetting off-putting unnerving kind of i think it was probably supposed to be that way but the way they like distorted his scream and how he's just staring like right into the camera and the fact that it is black and white i just i didn't i just didn't love it i get that throughout the whole movie he's kind of going insane and this is the culmination of that like he's just letting it out basically but i thought that was just a weird like weird way to end it so I actually did like that part. Okay. Um, I thought that was super creepy. I think unnerving is exactly the right term for it. Yeah. But I, um, I just, I didn't feel like the film really did much as a whole. I, I really, I don't mean to crap on this film so hard. <laughs> I just felt like that shot was really cool, but I don't yeah. even know that I needed the film in the first place. But I think that was one of my favorite parts of the film because it was so creepy and bothered me so much. 
Mm -hmm. I will agree with you there. So that is that is an interesting point to make. And yeah. do you think too that this movie suffers from like the critic score is really high on this movie? But this is a movie made for movie critics. Like, let's be honest. Like, if you work uh, yeah, for, yeah, I totally agree. You know, the New Yorker or Variety or whatever, and you go see this, you're like, yes, this is my type of movie. This is this is cinema. This is cinema. I'm telling you, everybody, this is cinema. <laughs> like that's that's just how the reviewers were like gloating over this movie. And it is good performances, and yeah, it's cool that it's shot in black and white and all that stuff. But like overall, I don't think this is gonna appeal s too much to mainstream audiences. Like I rented this from Redbox, and on the Redbox site, you can leave a review, and a lot of the reviews were like one or two stars. Like most boring thing I've ever watched. Just didn't get it. Wasn't into it. Things like that. So I feel like this definitely has an audience, but it's going to be one that's definitely more compact than like a normal movie would be. Jared, I think that is hilarious uh, when you were just imitating like, oh, this is cinema. But you're exactly right. I I thought that like towards the beginning of the film, I was like, oh, I get it. This is like one of those movies. Yep, yeah. This is made for people, which we love film too. But mm -hmm. I, I felt like they were, I mean, I, I use this term a lot, but I felt like it was agenda pushing where they're like, we just yeah. want you to know that we love art and we love film. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, we all do. That's why we're watching this. Yep. Anyway, so those are my those are my thoughts. But even that, I mean, that strategy just really didn't even pay off in the end because it didn't get it only got one Oscar nomination. So it wasn't and it hasn't really been a huge player in the awards circuit at all either. So it's not like it got nominated yeah. for a lot of awards, even though the critics loved it. So it yeah. didn't that strategy kind of worked against it anyway. It's not like it's a Oscar like nominated for best picture and best screenplay and all that stuff. So. So that's, right. our, that's our thoughts on The Lighthouse. We'll go ahead and give our grades now. I'll just go ahead and go first. So I looked at my past grades, and I gave The Goldfinch a 63 out of 100. And I think I liked The Goldfinch more than I liked this movie. So I'm going to give this movie a 56 out of 100 for The Lighthouse. Not great. Ooh. <laughs> Pretty <Okay>. low. <laughs> okay. What are you going to give it? You make an excellent point, though. Okay. Yeah, mine's pretty low. I think mine's actually the lowest score I've given. That's that was mine for it's, this too. So yeah, it's only because it's only because it's just not. I got nothing, literally nothing from this film. I didn't take anything away. I didn't think about mm -hmm. it when it stopped. I was just like, okay, and like returned <laughs> it to Redbox. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I gave it. I gave it a sixty-eight. Okay. Uh, okay. Because when you bring up the goldfinch, that's a great point. Because I gave the goldfinch a seventy. Yep. Yeah. But I was really invested in that story. I really cared about mm -hmm. those people and what was happening. So, yeah. I just thought that was a more... Sorry. I thought Goldfinch was just a more interesting movie, too. I know the critics basically, like, crapped on that one as well. But I thought it was just more... It just had... It was more interesting. You connected more with, like, Ansel Elgort's character than you do with either of these characters in the White House. So, yes, that's why I yes. had to give... You know, it's still not great, but it wasn't as, as bad as this, I thought. So, that's our thoughts on the Lighthouse. You might love it. We both didn't super love it, but like we've said, it's at Redbox now, and you can go rent it for yourself and pay $2 and see if you you like it or not. So that's our review of The Lighthouse. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here on the Silver Screen Podcast and then come back and talk about another A24 movie, The Farewell.
Okay, and we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast. Just wrapped up our review of The Lighthouse, and now we'll move into another A24 movie, which is The Farewell. And before we get into this one too, Katie, I know this didn't get a lot of Oscar nominations, really all any, but I think it probably should have gotten at least one or two. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But if you're looking to see some of these Oscar-nominated movies like Jojo Rabbit or Parasite or something like that that didn't have a super wide release when it was in theaters, a lot of those start to come back to theaters around Oscar time so you can sometimes catch them even if they you know like they might be out of theaters for a month or two and then come back for the Oscars if they got nominated also AMC always does their best picture showcase where it's normally two weekends or two days I can't remember exactly how they do it but they will show basically all nine best picture nominations so you could sit at amc for what is a very long day and watch you know four or five of the best picture nominees and then come back the next weekend and watch the other four to get you ready for the oscars if you want to do that too they always do that every year yes good point because that's been helping me actually because i knew they would well i suspected they would bring back films so that's how i've been able to see parasite and some of these other Mm -hmm. ones so definitely go check your local listings and it won't just be the small like artsy theaters either it's going to be like the mainstream ones too that bring these films back yes so and the amc thing too is really good if you have an amc near you and you haven't seen really any of the best picture nominees or maybe you've seen like one and you're like i really want to see all of them then they'll show you basically all of them they're not going to show the two netflix movies which makes sense the irishman and marriage story because you can watch those on netflix but they are showing the rest of them three on one day and then four on the other day. So that again, it's a long day of movies, but if you haven't seen them, then it's kind of it's kind of cool to go watch those all at one time. So I used to work at, at an AMC when they did this Best Picture Showcase, and people would come in their PJs, they would bring snacks, they would just sit in... I mean, I'm sure the theater was, you know, awful at the end of it because people had been in there for like 10 hours, but it's kind of fun. So if you want to do that, there you go. That was, that was our ad for AMC, basically. <laughs> You're welcome, AMC. AMC's Best Picture Showcase, amc.com for amctheaters.com for more info. Now we'll get into our review of The Farewell, released on August 9th in theaters, came to streaming October 29th of 2019, rated PG for thematic material, brief language, and some smoking. It's an hour and 40 minutes. It is a 7.7 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, critics, 98%. Huge critic score. Audience, 87%. So... Pretty good critics and audience ratings with this one. Also, I was just gonna say I like how it's only rated PG. Like they could have made this PG thirteen by put or R by putting in more cuss words, but they didn't need to. So now you have a nice PG movie that like you can watch with your you know twelve or thirteen year old if you want to because it's 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 not that bad. <laughs> That's a really good point. This was a this was a very clean film, mm-hmm. and I yep. didn't watch it with my parents, but I was like, oh man, this would be really enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's a good movie to watch with your whole family, especially if you if your family members are a little bit older. Like if you've got kids that are maybe, you know, like I said, 12 to 14 or older than that, then yeah, this is definitely one you can watch with the whole family. And it's short, too. It's only an hour and 40 minutes, which is always nice. I always like shorter movies. So box office domestically did 17 million dollars. It did 19 million dollars worldwide. We'll say, though, for the box office, it is based on a Chinese family and it has not opened in China yet. So you would think when it does come out in China that it will kind of make some more money there because it is just based on the Chinese culture and a a Chinese family. 
Yes, definitely. I have a little bit of information about that later, too, in the podcast. Good to know. So the synopsis for this one is a Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark and schedule a wedding to gather before she dies. Basically, the grandma gets diagnosed with cancer and they decide that they're not going to tell her. And that's how the whole movie plays out, pretty much. Yes, that sums it up quite nicely, I would say. So we'll get into some critics' reviews of this movie now. First, we have Zoe Hugh of The New Republic, who says, Immigrants, for whom such experiences often overlap in intimate ways, can tell some of the most compelling stories about the human condition and the dislocating shocks of modernity. Sorry, I said Modernity. That <laughs> modernity. <laughs> that is okay. I'm here for you. Modernity. Thank you. English major helping me out. <laughs> I was going to say, you honestly just make me feel better because there's so many things I can't do in this world that when someone doesn't know a word, I'm like, I'm here for you. Thank or you. Or if they're like, hey, Katie, help me with that spelling. I can do that. But if you say, What's my sentence hey, structure? <laughs> yeah. But if someone's like, hey, let's do some trigonometry, I'm like, Goodbye. Oh, no, I'm out on that. Yeah. No math. This is a no math podcast. <laughs> That's right. If you want to hear about math, go somewhere else. Listen to something else. But anyway, back to Zoe's review. I think that's a really good point because it is it is a very intimate movie. A very it's told through Aquafina's perspective and her as a as a member of this family and a member of the family that does not live in China anymore but lives in New York. And I think it is definitely does cover some more intimate situations and things that she's just kind of dealing with. Yeah, I have a lot of nice things to say about this film. I found it very moving, and I especially love... I really tried to pick some good quotes about about just like how this is a Chinese-American story, because you can tell that throughout the entire film. There's definitely elements of both cultures in it. That's one of my favorite things. And then uh, the last quote, I know we're on the first one, but the last quote is a guy that like just clearly had a bone to pick, but there were <laughs> only, on Rotten Tomatoes, there were only six negative comments. Yeah. So if that tells you anything, I think that that's something to point out for sure. The next review here for The Farewell is, like her heroine, Wang, that's the director, Lulu Wang, straddles the fence and argues from either side of it. Like her, the movie is profoundly Chinese-American, speaking to both audiences and be able to be enjoyed by both. That's Tiber of the Boston Globe. Brings up a great point. This is a movie about a Chinese family. They speak Chinese a lot in the movie. They also speak English in the movie. And I that was not off-putting at all to me. I totally still connected with the characters. And I totally enjoyed the movie, even if it was you know a Chinese-American movie. I think, like he says, both cultures can definitely enjoy this movie equally. I completely agree. And this is one I know you and I have talked about the struggles that can come with Netflix films because mm -hmm. you are able to do other things. This is a movie that I was invested in from the very beginning. So I actually paid attention and just sat and watched the whole thing. So it was good, too, because they do have subtitles for some of it. Yep. But I didn't feel like any of the subtitled sections took me out of the movie or confused me or slowed me down. So I am completely in agreement with you. Me neither. Yeah, I sat down to watch this on my because I rented it from Redbox and sat down on my couch to watch it. And like, unlike the Lighthouse, where about thirty minutes and I started doing other stuff, this one I was completely engaged the whole time. And just kind of like Marriage Story was on Netflix. Like when I watched that, I was very invested in that one. And that can still happen even if you watch a movie at home and it's streaming or from the Redbox or whatever. If it's an interesting story, it can still grab you. And that's what this one did. And and it's kind of humorous in spots, which is nice. It's it's heartfelt in spots. It's sad in some places, so I thought it really did a nice job of balancing 
all those emotions. And then next up, we have Peter DeBruge of Variety, who says, What makes The Farewell so effective is that in delving into such a specific case, the film invites audiences to reflect on the passing of relatives close to them. Ooh, I, I felt this one because mm-hmm. I I did know going into this that I was going to get emotional thinking about my grandmother who died um, in June. But I, I totally felt that even if my grandmother had not passed within the last year, this would have made me reflect on all the people I have lost or my friends who have lost people this year and what they're going through. So definitely that's a this is a little warning for all of you if you haven't watched it. Definitely have tissues if you're the crying type or if you've lost someone close to you recently. Um but the good news is there are some very happy things that happen in the film as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, even along with that of the passing away, I think it really focuses a lot on family, too. And just like seeing your family and making sure that you visit your family members, even if they are far away. I thought that was a big point that brought brought up because definitely like when Aquafina's character comes back to China, they all talk about about how just how long it has been since they have all been together and they've gathered for this wedding. And it was like when they were when Aquafina was basically a kid that they were there the last time when they lived in China before they moved over to New York. So that was a very I loved that scene where they're just like, we're all back together and we're all it's all great that we're here and we're here because of a wedding, but we're also here because of, you know, the grandmother's cancer diagnosis, basically. So I thought that was just that was another big point. I thought it was trying to drive home was like, make sure that you see your family from time to time, because that's an important thing to do. That's a really good point. You're exactly right. Because in the film, they even talk about how Aquafina were led to at least understand that she doesn't have a lot of money either. Mm -hmm. Yep. But she was able to make that flight to go be with her grandmother when she found out stuff was happening with her grandma. And then finally, we have Ben Sachs of the Chicago Reader. This is, again, like you said, Katie, one of the few negative reviews of this movie. It's not even really super negative. Um, What follows is a series of hackneyed scenes about the different interpersonal relationships within the family centering on the heroine's bond with her grandmother. Yes, that wasn't the most negative one. The negative, the super negative one, I wasn't even going to like give the time of day. And I ended up picking this guy too because Ben Sachs is a top critic. So he has a little bit more, you know, gravitas at least with, with, uh, room r- Rotten Tomatoes, excuse me. Yes, and reviewing things and stuff like that. So, and then uh, f- next up, we have the director of the movie. This is directed by Lulu Wang, who has six directing credits so far, including Posthumous and several shorts. And she has written and produced almost all of the films she's directed to. You could make a point that she should have been nominated for Best Director at the Oscars, possibly, or at least been considered. And that was not the case because this is a very well-directed movie. Yeah, I definitely think she should have been considered, definitely even more so after I watched the film. And it would have been nice to see an Asian American uh, be able to get nominated and recognized, but Mm -hmm. apparently not. Nope, apparently not. So now we'll get into the cast. Uh, We're only going to focus on the two big people in this movie, which is the character of Billy, played by Aquafina, and then the character of Nene, who is Mm -hmm. the grandmother in the film. Yes. So Aquafina, my cousin visited me this weekend and she joked, she's like, I didn't know if that was her real name or not. Um, so that <laughs> made me laugh pretty hard. But Aquafina's real name is Nora Loom um, or Lum. But she actually is, she was first known for being a comedian and a rapper. Um, but you've seen her in Ocean's 8 and Crazy Rich Asians. That was the first thing I saw her in. But she has a TV series coming out this year called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. I actually <laughs> saw some trailer or something for it. I think it was either I think it was on Hulu the other day. Um, she also has five other productions that are coming out either in 2020 or 2021. So Aquafina is definitely in high demand. Yes, yeah, she is. 
Next up, we have Shuzen Zhao. She is Nene. She has, and I think they actually said Nai Nai, didn't they? Uh, I think they they went back and forth a little bit depending on the character. I'm yeah. not sure. So, <laughs> but I'll say Nai Nai for the okay. purpose of the podcast. But she has two other acting credits, including Only Cloud Knows. And then a TV series called The Story of Ming Lan. So she has not actually been in a ton of things, but I thought she did such a terrific job playing the grandmother. She was adorable. She was great as the grandmother and just made me believe that she was just a grandmother to Aquafina. Like she wasn't even acting like that was just Aquafina's real grandma in the movie. That's basically how I felt because she pulls off that grandmother character so well of being and it's partially due to the script also, but being loving at times, being somewhat condescending at times, especially with like her comments she's making about the wedding. Those are very funny occasionally. Uh, most of them that happen in subtitles, which is funny. But yeah, she just there's really a lot of complex complexity to her character and Aquafina's character. But I think I thought she did a fantastic job. She was such a sweet little lady in this movie. <laughs> I I agree with you too. She was just she was darling and you definitely believed I don't even know if she's a grandmother in real life. I would suspect she is. Mm-hmm. But she definitely I felt like she was a grandmother. I believed everything about her character. And I also loved kind of her not gullible, but she was just completely unaware that she was sick and kind of just went along for the ride with this yeah. with this shotgun wedding situation. Although it wasn't a true shotgun wedding situation, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. She was a dar- uh, darling. So now we get into our likes and dislikes and one like for the movie. I know we talked about those two characters, but really the whole cast is great in this movie. They got nominated for Best Ensemble at, I forget which award show that was, uh, Critics' Choice Awards maybe? I think that's the one that does Best Ensemble instead of like Best Movie. Um, the cast of it Parasite the cast of Parasite won that, but I know they were nominated for that. I'll double check that here in just a second. But I thought the whole cast from her you know, brothers and sisters, her mom and dad, Everybody really just did a great job in this movie. I Yes, I am totally with you on that. Um, the acting was spectacular, and I loved that there was a mixture of both comedy and seriousness because they are dealing with some heavy subjects, especially just death and cancer and what you do with family members when you find out that they have a terminal illness. Um, I was also going to say I loved I I think my favorite part really about the film besides how touching it was and how I felt like I connected with these characters was how much culture there was in there from from China. It was neat to see different settings because you actually got to see places in China, how they ate, how they communicated with each other, the kinds of clothing they would wear. And also how a lot of uh, Asian Americans, such as uh, that Billy's character was that Aquafina played, how she also can seamlessly transition into New York City and just be like a regular all-American um, Chinese immigrant that's living there. And I thought that was really cool to kind of see that dichotomy between the two cultures. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I got to check myself on the awards. So it was not so the SAG Awards is the one that does best ensemble. And that went I to see. Parasite. And the nominees for that were Parasite, Bombshell, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. However, Critics' Choice Awards, this was did not win anything, but it was nominated for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Comedy. And then, of course, Aquafina won at the Golden Globes for Best Actress Musical or Comedy. So that was cool to see. Also, I have to give a shout-out to Indianapolis and the Heartland Film Festival, because back in October... 
They showed this movie and it won a truly moving picture award at the Heartland Film Festival, which That's awesome. I think is well deserved. So this one, that was a little bit um, before it was kind of everywhere in theaters, but they showed that at the Heartland Film Festival and was pretty cool that that was uh, selected for that award. So now some other likes I liked about this movie. I really liked Aquafina playing a different role. Like she's done a lot of comedic roles and this does have some comedy in it, yes. but this is definitely more of a dramatic role from Aquafina. And I thought that was cool to see because I didn't love her as an actress. I will say before I saw this, I just thought she kind of had like one bit that she kind of did, you know, in various movies and things. So I was surprised and also delighted when I saw this movie to really see that she does have a ton of range and she can play the dramatic character as well. And this made me really just have a lot more um, respect for her as an actress is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. I thought that this was really her movie where she got to shine and show that she can play a lot of different roles. I totally get what you're saying. I actually loved her in Crazy Rich Asians. Mm -hmm. I thought there were a couple scenes. She just stole the scenes. So I loved her in that. But I agree with you. I loved seeing her play a very different type of role. I think this is going to get her more roles as well. Not that she needs it. She's got seven movies coming out or five. But she's spectacular. And I enjoyed seeing this different side of her as well. And then the other thing, I think this is really, I had, I had, um, well, I had already mentioned that I felt emotionally connected to these people, and I could relate. I struggled with the decision-making process and mm-hmm. how Chinese culture, basically they say, you don't tell people if they're terminally ill in your family. You take that on. You take that burden, and you decide if you tell them or not. Um, I struggle with that concept. That was actually a, a hard dislike of mine. Um, at the same time, though, I felt like Lulu Wang did such a beautiful job with this film about uh, making us as an audience member, I was able to empathize with what was happening because no matter whether you agree with that cultural difference or not, you can empathize with wanting to protect a family member and cherishing people you have in your life. So that was probably my favorite thing about the film. Yeah, I did really enjoy that and how they try to play with that whole morality debate of, you know, are we going to tell her? Because Aquafina says we should tell her. She has the right to know. She should know that she is diagnosed with a form of cancer and that she's, you know, slowly dying, basically. And that, you know, the Chinese culture says that you don't do that. But Aquafina has more of a, a Chinese American culture because she lives in New York now. So they, the way that they brought that into that was very interesting to kind of see that all play out. And that's a big part of the movie is trying to figure out if they're going to tell her or not so that was one of my likes as well and then also I loved the cinematography of this movie and also the ending is really well done too um, I liked the the one of the sadder kind of scenes I guess in the movie is when they are driving away from the apartment complex and Aquafina is just looking in the back seat and Nanai is waving to her and Aquafina is waving back but she's also crying a little bit too I really enjoyed that part thought that was very emotional um, but you yes. really liked the the very kind of the last scene of the movie where she's just yelling like her grandmother on and on in New York basically yes that was my favorite shot of the whole film she we see the scene towards the beginning of the film when she first visits her grandma mm-hmm. and they're outside and her grandma's basically doing an exercise kind of communing with nature and just being peaceful at peace with who she is and what's going on in the moment and aquafina you could tell typical of a grandchild or a child i think we all have moments where we're like oh gosh this person's crazy and <laughs> my family is so ridiculous 
But at the end, you see Aquafina, and she's back in New York, and she has this moment, and she just looks up directly into the camera. It's like she's staring into your soul, and she yells. Mm -hmm. She does one of the yells like her grandmother does. That, I mean, it broke my heart, and it filled my heart at the same time. It was just such a beautiful, I mean, uh, physically a beautiful shot of Mm -hmm. Aquafina in the background, but it was just such a moving moment. So that was without a doubt my favorite moment of the film was the very last shot. I did really like that. I'm trying to think if there was any other scenes that I liked before we move into dislikes. I liked when she was talking to her grandmother on the phone when she was just kind of walking the streets of New York at the beginning of the movie. That conversation just played off very naturally. And grandma was asking her, you know, have you found any love interest yet? Have you found a boy that you might, you know, want to get with? Or are you coming to visit me? Do you have food? Are you warm? You know, just things that your grandmother would ask about, honestly, in a conversation. So I really liked that. And I liked the whole wedding sequence too once we got there and the wedding actually playing out and everybody giving their speeches and they did karaoke and all that stuff was was pretty funny at times that added a lot of humor to it the whole wedding part of the the movie yes yes totally agree well how about um dislikes i was gonna ask that's what i was gonna say so i didn't have too many dislikes with it um i think i don't know if i really had a really many dislikes at all like you said keeping the medical diagnosis from her as that's just kind of a thing that happens in that culture is obviously questionable and would be a dislike not to the movie but just to like people in general like keeping medical diagnoses from their families and then uh you said it wasn't like a pretty film which i would agree it's very like muted and the the wardrobe and things like that and even like the the scenes that you see are kind of very just like earth tone-ish so it's not really going for any flashy production design or costumes or anything like that yes that was i i wasn't even trying to be i didn't know a way to really articulate it i think muted you did a really good job describing the color palette it was like a lot of the buildings everything that we saw in china just looked very muted and even the outfits and stuff it's not like people were wearing really vibrant colors Mm -hmm. or a lot of makeup i don't think that that's typical either in the culture to wear a lot of makeup so it's not that people weren't naturally i think aquafina looked very naturally beautiful in the film it's just more like it wasn't a vibrant looking film but I think the really the only thing I actually struggled with was just like the whole decision, the whole concept of choosing to tell people whether they're sick or not, because I do think ultimately people have a right to live and die the way that they want to. So I, I think that that would be a hard line for me to draw in mm-hmm. the sand. But um, I think ultimately that was really the only thing that I could pick on besides maybe the muted colors in it. Yeah, and I think that that really does provide an interesting concept for a movie dealing with that kind of, like we've said, that moral decision. Because if they would have just told her, then the movie probably would have had, one, a little bit of a sadder tone because she would have known from the beginning that she was diagnosed with cancer. And then you would have had the wedding. But the fact that they're struggling the whole time while they're together as a family with trying to tell her if she has a diagnosis or not, I just thought it was really well done by Lulu Wang, the scripting of it, and then also the direction to kind of We have this thing that everybody's gathering for, but we also kind of have this black cloud that's hanging over our heads as far as what we want to do about our grandmother's health, basically. Yes, I completely agree. But really, that was pretty much the only thing I could even think of to kind of be slightly disappointed with this film. Yes. And then you also found a a fun fact, too, because this movie is based on Lulu Wang's grandmother and you actually see a shot of her in the credits, a little video of her. And she's she's still alive, which is great that, you know, she's still kicking, which is awesome. But she actually doesn't know that the movie is about her. (laughs) 
Yes, I read there was a great article on vice.com and it's written by Bettina. I think it's Maka Lintel. And Wang's grandmother, the whole thing is about with Lulu Wang and does she know about, does her grandma know about the film? So her grandma knows about the movie and that Lulu's family is involved, but she doesn't know that the movie revolves around her. And she also is still completely unaware that she has terminal cancer. Well, it's listed as terminal cancer, but clearly the woman's lived six years since being diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, The movie we had mentioned earlier in the podcast, the movie had not been released in China yet. And as of December, that was when the article was written was late December 2019. It still hadn't been released. It was there was some kind of delay. So they are going to release it in China, but it hasn't been shown there yet. Um, So Lulu Wang is aware that as the movie gains traction, especially with award season, now that it is getting recognition and stuff, that it is likely that her grandmother will find out and that at some point they're probably going to have to give up the ruse. But at this point, at least of the writing of that article, her grandmother still didn't know and was happy, happy and alive. There you go. So this is very much based on a real life story that Lulu Wang struggled with in her own family. So and she you could probably gather from the story that she is kind of writing the character of Aquafina in this movie. I would say that her Billy character in this movie is probably Lulu Wang's perspective on the whole situation with her own grandmother. Yes, yes, I definitely think you're right about that. So now we'll go ahead and give our grades for The Farewell. And you can go ahead and go first, Katie, since I went first for The Lighthouse. Thank you. So I I knew this wasn't my favorite film of the year, but it definitely I thought was was really intriguing and really moving. I do think that is colored by the fact that I've lost a grandmother that I love so much um, within the year. But at the same time, I would watch this again and again. I love that it was clean, that you could watch it with your Mm -hmm. family because a lot of movies you really can't. and it, I just, I love when there's a story told where you can bond or connect in some way and empathize with the character. So it, it checked all those boxes for me. Um, I looked at previous films. So I gave this an 88, okay. which is also what I gave The Joker and If Beale Street Could Talk. And I actually thought this was very similar to If Beale Street Could Talk, where that movie moved me yeah, so much. Yep. And I thought it was incredibly well done. There wasn't much I didn't like about it. It just wasn't one that I was like, oh my gosh, that just changed my life. That makes sense. So, and my grade for this movie, I'm going to give this uh, just a little bit higher than you, but not much. I'm going to give it a 90 out of 100. I really liked it. I thought that the story was very interesting. It was very well written. The acting in it is superb. It's got the perfect mix of a little comedy, a little dramatic situation, sad moments, all that stuff. And I thought the complexity, it was a complex story in parts, but it was told from a perspective that you were able to understand it completely, if that makes sense. Like telling us when you pitch this to a movie studio and you're like, hey, I have this movie and uh, it's about a family that their grandmother is dying from cancer, but their grandmother doesn't know that she's dying from cancer and also a wedding is taking place during this movie at the same time to get that point across well requires some you know complex execution i think in the writing and directing of it and i thought both those things were pulled off great so i'm going to give it a, a 90 out of 100 that's awesome i'm glad we are so closely aligned i think that's always a good sign we are so the moral of this episode is go watch the farewell definitely and then maybe go watch the lighthouse if you're interested in that movie so (laughs) (laughs) and our scores just so you know for the lighthouse before we wrap up here um i gave it a 56 out of 100 and then katie you gave it a 68 out of 100 for the lighthouse so 
And our next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast will be a movie that is nominated for Best Picture and actually a couple Academy Awards, and that is Parasite, which, Katie, I know you just recently saw it and you said it was very good. Jared, I cannot wait until we talk about this movie. <laughs> I already have my score. I am ready to go. I've already started on notes. I've picked out my score. I am down. I cannot wait to discuss this. Good to know. I have not seen it yet, but I'm going to be seeing it here in the next couple days. So I'm excited. It's got a ton of buzz. It's been number one or two on a lot of critics, you know, year and lists as far as movies that they've loved. So I'm really interested. And I really don't know a ton about what the movie's about either, which I think is kind of the way you might want to go into it. So I'm, I'm interested to check this one out and to see Parasite. But that'll be our next episode here on the Silver Screen Podcast. And you can always follow the show on social media at Podcast Silver on Instagram and Twitter. And then search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook. There'll also be links in the description of this episode, so you can just click right there and like or follow us. And then also be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to the Silver Screen Podcast. That could be Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or on all those different platforms, you can listen to the Silver Screen Podcast there. And our next episode will be on Parasite. Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy 